Well, you know, for being a poor widow, this woman sure has a lot of friends. I think just about any preacher that I know has befriended this woman at one point or another in their ministry. She is probably one of the most popular women in the Bible to most preachers during this time of year. We pastors thank God for her. We are glad to know her. We are delighted that she is in the Bible. Because when it comes to preaching about stewardship, we sure do love telling you all about her. I've preached about her more times than I can count, and every time I have, it's been about financial stewardship. If you want to motivate your congregation to fill out a commitment card and turn it in, just introduce them to this woman. You want to tell your people that no gift is too small? Well, then just tell your people how much this poor widow gave, which is the equivalent in those two coins alone of about a dollar and eighty cents in today's economy. If you want to convince people that Jesus wants all of their money, then just tell them that this poor widow gave all that she had, and that is exactly what impressed Jesus. Oh my, this woman has a lot of friends. Because every preacher, come stewardship time, has befriended her. But now I'm wondering... If Mark and Luke, who are the only two gospel writers to tell us her story, would push back on us preachers. Quit using this woman, they might say to preachers like me. Hasn't this poor woman been abused enough? In fact, that may be the same thing that the gospel writers tell all of us anytime we use any passage of Scripture in the Bible for our own personal use and co-opt it for personal gain and restrict its interpretation with such a narrow line of interpretation. In fact, maybe there is more to the story of this poor widow than we've ever heard before. So if we were to attempt to release this poor woman from such single-minded thinking, then maybe the place to start is to see the context in which Mark and Luke tell her story. In other words, see the stories that are surrounding this woman's story to get deeper meaning as to why Mark and Luke want to tell us about her in the first place. And it's here that we discover something really fascinating about the way Mark and Luke tell us about her story. You know, oftentimes when the Gospels tell the same story in multiple Gospels, the writers of those Gospels will make editorial decisions about where to place that story in their overall narrative. And oftentimes they will tell the same story in two different places in the life of Jesus. Sometimes they'll take that same story and place it earlier in the life of Jesus, whereas the other gospel writer will take that same story and put it later in Jesus' life. 
Sometimes they will precede that story with a whole collection of stories and miracles and events and teachings, whereas another gospel writer will use a whole different set of teachings and miracles and events to precede that very same story. But what is fascinating here, what is absolutely rare to discover here, is that Mark and Luke both tell the story of the poor widow bookended with the exact same set of stories. It's a very rare glimpse of gospel parallelism that almost two full chapters have the exact same content in Mark and Luke. Preceding the story of the poor widow is a parable about the wicked servants followed immediately by Jesus answering the question of whether or not the disciples should pay taxes to Caesar, which is followed immediately by Jesus condemning the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. Same stories. And then after the story of the widow, Jesus forecasts the destruction of the temple and begins to foretell all sorts of future catastrophes and disasters, followed by a call for all of us to endurance. The exact same stories happening before the women's story and after. They comprise nearly two full chapters of Luke and Mark, and they run almost identically parallel. And what do you suppose that all of these bookending stories have in common, none of them are happy. All of them are about the worst in the human condition. They all speak about the brokenness and the chaos and the confusion in the world. All of them speak about how dark this world has become. And none of them are about filling out a commitment card. Instead, Luke and Mark spend nearly two full chapters precisely diagnosing the human condition with surgical precision. As a world filled with violence and catastrophe and destruction and a world in which even religious institutions are filled with hypocrisy and discrimination and selfish pride and all in all, a world that is utterly broken. In other words, a world just like today. And right in the middle of these stories, as Jesus is engaging the disciples with these teachings of story after story, all of a sudden, this woman catches his attention, glimpses her out of the corner of his eye as this poor widow drops her last two coins into the treasury of the temple. You know why I think Jesus was impressed by this woman? Because when Jesus saw this woman, Jesus saw an outcast, a refugee of society, an outsider on so many levels to the world, this woman who dropped her last remaining resources into the only source of hope that she knew. You know what really impressed Jesus? 
I think that when Jesus saw this woman, he saw himself. When he saw this poor widow, he saw God. Because you remember, Jesus himself was also an outsider who decided to empty himself fully of the full treasury of his divinity in order to become human just like you and just like me. Right in the midst of this horrible human situation that the world is in. And Jesus himself was also a refugee who had to flee the horrors of a tyrannical emperor in Herod who shortly after he was born was whisked away by his parents Mary and Joseph to safekeeping to another country in Egypt. And Jesus himself had very little means to his disposal except the clothes on his back depending on the generosity and hospitality of others. And just like that woman that he watched give everything that she had left in only a matter of days, On a cross, on Golgotha's hill, Jesus would do the very same. So when the widow dropped those coins in the temple treasury box, I suspect that Jesus did not say, well, will you look there? Look at what that woman did. From now on, preachers are going to use that woman as a sermon illustration every November. How about that? No. No, when, when he saw that woman, he said, Hey, that's me. That's God. So this time around... You're not going to hear me say that you, you need to be like this poor widow and, and you need to give your commitment card today because that, that is really what's going to impress Jesus. I'm not going to say that. But I would still invite you to find an entry point into this story. I would still ask you a question about how you would identify with this story. And and if we aren't going, if we aren't going to identify with this woman, if we come to the conclusion that it's really God who is the poor widow in this story, who gave everything in order to redeem this horribly, irrevocably, irredeemable world, then who exactly should we identify with in this story? Or maybe let me ask it another way. With what are we going to identify in this story? What if you and I were the two coins Little old, insignificant, highly disregarded coins. Not only, not only the smallest amount of currency in the entire Roman world, these two mites were, were just a fraction of the smallest amount of currency in the Roman economy. I mean, that's the way you and I feel sometimes, isn't it? 
over and against such a black and dark canvas of despair and misery in the world today. That's how you and I feel, isn't it? Just like two little mites in such a broken and hurting world. Like there is no possible way that either you or I could possibly amount to much of anything. Not only are we limited in our abilities, you and I are limited by our own self-inflicted wounds and brokenness. Too much time spent worrying about things that may not happen. Too much bitterness and resentment over things that already have. And too much stress over things that in the long run really don't matter. Which is why I think it would be remarkable to think that God even bothers to keep us in his wallet to begin with. But maybe God knows something that we don't. That in the hands of God, just like in the hands of this poor widow, we are, in fact, God's only and best strategy for redeeming this broken world. We gain evidence of that every time we witness a baptism or whenever someone joins the church and we hear the same membership vows and baptismal vows that gained our entry into the church when we said out loud in the presence of God and each other that we will renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sin. We gain evidence of that every time we gather at the table and feast together at the Lord's Supper when we pray as part of our communion liturgy that we might be the body, the bread of Christ for the world redeemed by his blood. You see, we are the coins in God's pockets. And God's pockets have generously sized holes. And we are mediums of exchange that God wishes to use to make a very big difference in this very broken world with our very little selves. And that is why discipleship matters. That is why growing in your faith matters. Not because you are the poor widow, but because God has dropped you into the treasury of grace and forgiveness and called you into action. And that is the only way to properly frame financial generosity. Your act of filling out a commitment card and turning it in today can be a singular moment in your faith journey that symbolizes your willingness to be employed by a God who sees more value in you than you see in yourself being willing to be used by God as coins of grace in a hurting world, the money that you offer to support the ministries and programs of this church over this upcoming year 
can simply be an outgrowth of your deeper and wider commitment to become all that God has called you to be and to do all that God has created you to do. I've been very touched over this past week by the testimonies of our very own youth who two weeks ago were each given three $1 bills during their closing worship at Sunday Night Merge Youth Ministry, just two weeks ago. Honestly, $3, that's not a lot of money. Three $1 bills amounts to even just a tad bit more than the current value of that widow's two mites. That's not a lot of money. But you know what happened with those three dollars? Ministry happened. A 12th grader named Katie in our very own youth group took that three dollars as seed money and raised 31 total dollars by talking to her friends at school about the challenge. So she gave all $31 to her lunch lady in the school cafeteria and asked that it be put towards anyone who needs money in their account to eat last week. Then there was a sophomore named Bailey who gave it to one of the girls in the youth program who was saying goodbye to the kids on her last Sunday with them, gave it to her as a gift, as a symbolic reminder that God would always be with her and that her friends would always care for her. Another sophomore named Lauren matched that $3 with a total of $6 and bought a sandwich with it and cookies and chips and a drink and gave it to a homeless person that she saw last week. Anna, a sixth grader, used that money to buy a can of soup and put that can in her school's food drive. A sixth grader named Olivia bought a cup of coffee with it for a homeless person outside of a breakfast shop where she and her mother were having breakfast. And a little boy named Isaiah, eighth grade, gave it back to the church, putting it in the offering plate for the use of Hyde Park. You know, when the world looks at you, it might feel like the world sees you as just two little insignificant coins without much purpose, without much value, over and against such a vast and needy world. But in God's hands, just like in the hands of this poor widow, God sees you with extraordinary value and inestimable potential and incalculable worth. And it's time to allow God to drop you into the treasury. In a few moments during the offertory, you will be invited to offer up your commitment cards for this year. We will invite you to come forward as the offertory song is playing, as the choir is singing the anthem, to come up to the altar rail and leave your card here at the rail. And you may choose to pause and stand or kneel here at the rail for prayer. Sally and I will be behind the rail if you choose to indicate to us that you would like 
for us to pray with you for whatever reason you might have. And if you're unable to come forward for any reason, or if you simply choose to, you can stay right where you are during the offertory and place your commitment card in the offering plate as it goes by you, seated in your pew. And if you don't have a commitment card this morning, well, just look in front of you, right there in the pew rack, stuck there right in front of the hymnal, is a commitment card that's just calling your name. And it's got an envelope with it, too, so that you can stick the card in the envelope and keep your commitment confidential. And if for some reason you don't like to deal with paper at all, you can make your commitment online. Following the instructions in your worship bulletin this morning, you can get on the web and make a commitment following those instructions. And you can even follow the instructions and use your smartphone this morning to text your name and the annual amount of your pledge following those instructions in your worship bulletin. You have this pastor's permission to get on your phones during the offertory. <laughs> Today, you are God's coins. And you are at God's disposal because you are no longer your own, but God's. And may God put you to what God wills. And may God rank you with whom God wills and put you to doing and put you to suffering. Let you be employed for God or laid aside for God, exalted for God or brought low for God. May you be full. May you be empty. May you have all things. May you have nothing. And may you freely and heartily yield all things to God's pleasure and disposal. And now, may you remember that you belong to God and God dwells in you and may the commitment that you make today be made true in heaven and for eternity. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for creating us with more worth than we believe in ourselves and for granting us the potential to do such mighty things with such lowly means. We do offer ourselves nothing less than the fullness of who we are in trusting that in your hands, in the hands of this poor widow, we might truly make an impact. We thank you for placing us in the treasury of grace and forgiveness, redeeming us through the power of your Son and in the strength of your Spirit so that when we look at a world that is in such darkness and decay, we can believe that you have a plan to transform it through us. And so we offer ourselves to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.